and welcome back to Young and Wifed Up. This is Marcella. And I'm Gabby. And thanks for joining us this week for another episode. Before we get started with our topic today, I wanted to make sure that you guys check out youngandwifedup.com. All of the resources from today's episodes will be linked in that website. So we've been gone for a couple of weeks. We've been we MIA. A, yeah, a little bit of a break. It's yeah. been a little crazy the past couple. Of, I feel like it's just been a crazy month. Actually. It has been. Why? I don't know. We've both just been so busy, but you were out of town. I was right? I, out of state. We drove up um, with my in-laws in the same car and we are all still alive. <laughs> 10 hour drive up to Grants Pass, Oregon, where my um, sister-in-law and her husband are living with their little ones. And it was really nice because Ryan has not really been able to have a lot of time with his niece and nephew. Mm. And so I know it was a huge blessing for him to be able to spend time with them. And to it was just a really relaxing time because because of COVID, we couldn't really go anywhere. But it was actually kind of nice to just like sit and veg and like eat and enjoy the nature because there's guys, there's trees in Oregon. We don't have trees out here. (laughs) Yeah, we have nothing. Cactus and tumble dry grass (laughs) that burns and fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oregon has fires. Oregon, yeah. And even when the first day we went up, it was really smoky, but it rained and it was like, thank you, Lord, because the rest of the weekend we were there, it was really clear. So it was just a really nice time, but I'm happy to be back in somewhat of a normal routine now, trying to get back to cleaning and work and everything until the holidays hit. Yep. And it's going to get crazy again. (laughs) But thankfully, you know what? One blessing, and I think you can agree because of COVID, there's not going to be that many gigs lined up for you and I. Oh, yeah. And well, I've been refusing gigs like since probably a couple years ago. Yeah. Last year, I obviously didn't do anything because I was due right before Christmas, which is when all of the gigs just get piled onto you. But yeah, as a musician, like we dread the Christmas season and the Easter season because it's usually when people book us for shows or gigs and some of them are great and I have like an ongoing contract with a children's choir that I love and that's basically Mm. the only gig that I still do Mm -hmm. but even that that's not going to happen this semester because we're we've gone dark this semester yeah Lord willing we'll be able to start up next year but yeah so there's gonna it'll be a much more relaxing holiday season I think I agree agree. yeah so what's been going on with you um not much. I mean, after the baby shower, I feel like I was like, I had like a mile long to-do list. Yeah, I get it. And it's still, it just never ends, dude. I just don't, I don't know. But it's nice because Jed's like very willing for me to like delegate things to him and like yeah. have him do stuff. I will say though, one thing I did do is I bleached my eyebrows a few what? days ago. <laughs> Which is by far the craziest thing I've ever done to my eyebrows. And I've done a lot of crazy things over the years. Like the past 10 years, like I've just tweezed all my eyebrows off. <laughs> if you've seen pictures of me in middle school, you would know. It's it was so awful. It's uh, even Jed knew me back then. And I was like, how did you like me? Like I had no eyebrows. Anyway, I bleached my eyebrows because like you like same thing with you. Like our eyebrow hairs are literally black. Yeah, they are. Right. And so I was just so sick of like having to find like an eyebrow pencil that was also black because if you get something at like any lighter, then it's obvious that it's like not your real hair. Yeah. <laughs> so they look a little funny when they're not filled in, but <laughs> but when they're filled in, it looks like so much more natural. Yeah. No, I get it. it. Especially if you have lighter it's, hair, it's better that you have lighter eyebrows. Exactly. Otherwise, your eyebrows look crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I'm like, I just don't want harsh eyebrows anymore. Like, I'm just yeah. so sick of them being like blocks on my face. Meanwhile, like, I'm like, don't. how can I make my eyebrows look harsher? <laughs> I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. 
<laughs> and they've been on fleek lately. I'm like, I know my eyebrows. Oh dark. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I bleached my eyebrows and that's been the most exciting thing that's happened in my life in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> well, now you have curtain bangs too. That's true. Oh yes. That's right. I got my hair stuck in a brush. They were completely accidental curtain bangs. Um, yeah, I was, I, I was using one of those small brown brushes. I was being an idiot. <laughs> it worked on the rest of my hair for some reason when it got to the part, like my fringe section of my yeah. hair, it just like, it got stuck. And I literally tried for 30 minutes to get it out and I couldn't get, so I had to cut oh, it. Oh, I'm sorry. It was really sad, but now I really like my curtain bangs. <laughs> I kind of want them to now just because it's oh, literally a, a full, a fall trend right now. And I'm sick of my hair. So you I need to go it. see our girl Brie and get a hair transformation. Cause I'm sick of, I'm yeah. sick of it. Yeah. Okay. So we chatted long enough, so we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back with our topic. I don't know about you, but I'm always on the hunt for a convenient shopping experience. However, too much of the stuff we buy today is made without any thought of how it will affect our families and the world tomorrow. What if there was an all-around better way to shop? With the convenience that we all want and the confidence that everything is made, packaged, and shipped sustainably. Earth Hero is exactly that. Earth Hero is a one-stop shop for all your sustainable and eco-friendly products. They have so many products ranging from beauty supplies, cleaning products, homeware, clothing, baby essentials, and so much more. Join us today on our sustainable journey by using promo code YOUNGANDWIFEDUP for 10% off your entire purchase. Make sure to click the Earth Hero link on our website at youngandwifedup.com to start shopping today. All right, guys. So getting into our topic today, we're going to be talking about mental health. And this is something that has been a long time coming. On our last um, Instagram live that we did, we asked you guys what you would want to hear about. And this was probably the main thing. Yes. Tons of people have been asking for us to address these issues. And Mm -hmm. I think that is important because in reality, most, if not all of us are going to struggle at some point or another with anxiety, panic, depression, postpartum depression, and other struggles that are like that. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, despite, you know, everything that we try to work on on ourselves and like our mental health, sometimes those struggles can still occur as a result of trauma or, you know, an affliction that has happened in our past or whatever. And it's just Mm -hmm. stuff that, you know, needs to be worked through, not just, you know, for ourselves, but, you know, for our families, for our children and, you know, the people that we care for. And, you know, it's, it's a community thing. I really feel like, you know, being able to work on your mental health. Absolutely. And sometimes it, like in my um, case, there are physical predispositions Mm -hmm. and like imbalances that can lead to long-term mental health struggles. And I want to make sure that I am very clear right off the get-go that we don't know what providence God has over our lives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that providence can be dark and it can be a physical problem that affects our mental health. And sometimes, and I talk about this a lot when I talk to my friends about this issue, we might be struggling with this until glory, until we die. And which is a really hard, which is, yeah, it's a very hard thing to accept and to trust the Lord with. But I want to make sure that we say that right off the bat, because 
none of the things that we're going to talk about today, we we are not medical professionals. Mm -hmm. We are coming from a place of peer support, just like we always do with all of our episodes. Yeah. Um, We're coming from a place of understanding and relating and just wanting to offer a different perspective that maybe some people haven't heard before. Yeah. Um, And that this is a very fragile topic. And I know even for me that struggles with, I'm a person that struggles with panic and anxiety. And a lot of it has to do with my physical predispositions. Mm. Um, There's still things that I'm not willing to accept and deal with because I know that there's things that I can do to help aid it, if that makes sense. Right. Not allowing mental health issues to become a part of our identity as a person. Oh yeah. And I feel like I feel like that's such a thing that's been such a thing, like, especially recently that, you know, people do adopt, you know, their mental health issues as their identity. Mm -hmm. And that's something as believers, we really have to stray from. And on top of that, I think another like really hard pill to swallow that a lot of people don't want to talk about is, you know, the fact that sometimes our mental state is a result of sin in our lives. Mm. And that is like, a hit to anybody's pride and ego and but it's you know as believers it's something that we have to face yes so yeah absolutely so the reason that um i today we're going to be having uh our first guest i'm really really excited about um our conversation with this woman today because you and i we we don't come from a perspective of somebody that might be a little bit more like I don't know, somebody that's more educated in this field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to have somebody on that's also a young wife, that's also yeah. um, a stay-at-home mother, and she she can relate to us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And But also she has a, a good background of somebody that I, I've had so many conversations with her about mental health issues that I feel really confident that her perspective is going to be something that we really want to hear. Yeah. Um, And I want to make sure that I'm clear off, like right off the bat that she is not a licensed therapist or anything like that. But again, we're coming from a place of peer support and we're coming from a place of wanting to hear another young wife's perspective Mm -hmm. that might be more qualified than we are because we don't study this like she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when, let me bring her on. So this is a beautiful person that I've got been able to get to know just in the past year. And I've been so blessed by her friendship and her perspective on issues um, dealing with young women and young wives. And so our guest today is Samantha Merkel. And Samantha, how are you doing today? Hi, Gabby. Hi, Marcella. I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah. I'm. Are you nervous? Are you excited? <laughs> I am both. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we are too. This is our first time having a guest on and with that comes certain complications or different technical tech technology issues. Yeah, but, yeah. So if our audio quality sounds a little different today, it's because we're recording primarily on Zoom and we want to be able to see her and hear her and interact with her as if she's in the room with us. Yeah. <laughs> but she is across the country from us, actually. So Samantha, where are you from? So I am in Columbia, Maryland, and um, I go nearby RP Church that's in Burtonsville. Awesome. And we've been, my husband and I have been very blessed by hearing your pastor's sermons during COVID when our church wasn't meeting. So we've been really blessed by your church and your pastor. Can you give us a brief, brief background on your education, um, your current studies, and just your passions as a young wife and mother? Yeah. So 
I have been married for three and a half years. I got married when I was 19. Actually, I was in the middle of college. Um, and recently, I had our first kid. I have a 10-month-old son named James. He's so cute. Um, so my husband, Peter, and I are working in general. Um, he's a scientist in medicine and all that jazz. And I have a bachelor's degree in social work. And I'm currently pursuing um, ACBC certification in biblical counseling. So that's the um, Association of Biblical Counselors. And I have a running business that I'm starting to. So I have my hands in many pots. But my passion for this really lies in just like a lot of personal experience of having to go through things like depression and self-hatred and a lot of difficult issues and not having really any light, any good guidance on how to do that. And mm-hmm. um, learning how even just good theology can actually help us experience God's love and deliverance from these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really passionate about sharing that with other people because after being able to actually work through a lot of my issues and get help and a lot of it, just learning to repent of my own sins that were involved. And I'd never mm-hmm. heard of that concept before, but it was, <laughs> it really changed everything for me. And so I always want to tell people about it because I want people to feel better too. So, uh, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Thank you, Samantha. And yeah, again, like she's not representing, um, I want to make sure that we're clear that she doesn't represent the biblical counseling, um, association that she's being, um, that she's being trained under. She is not yet certified, but she is working on it. And we, I'm definitely hundred percent supporting you girl, because we need more biblical counselors (laughs) in churches and in our lives, because I know I have benefited personally so much from people that are certified and are equipped and ready to help the saints with mental health struggles and other struggles they might be going through. So yes, an emphasis on, on certified. Yes. Certified. <laughs> not just, Oh, I really like, counseling. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. yeah. So I really, I, I just really applaud you for going through that education and, and desiring that for your, your work in the church. Yeah. And pursuing that while also having an infant. Yes. It's just crazy. So go you. Yeah, you go, girl. (laughs) So, Marcel? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh (laughs) I'm blessed to be under a pastor who that's his his dream is to have a bunch of us trained and able to help people. So That's awesome. Wow. That is so awesome. No, and I totally agree with that because this is a church-wide issue. And I feel like we're going to touch on how the church has maybe failed us in Mm -hmm. the past, Um, women in general when it comes to mental health issues. So we have some um, talking points that we want to go through and ask Samantha's perspective and maybe discuss. Um, There's about eight points that we want to go through. So why don't we kind of go back and forth? Maybe you can start. Okay. Yeah. So the first point that we want to go over is why as young wives and mothers, should we be concerned about caring for our mental state? Samantha, do you have any like initial thoughts on this? Yeah, definitely. How we take care of ourselves in one sense is really important first and foremost so we can honor God. If we are not taking care of ourselves and we're falling apart, like that doesn't honor God because God is glorified when we're um, obeying him and following him. And part of that is to be people who are joyful and in the word and um, celebrating. So if we're caught up in like anxiety or depression or things like that, um, often our eyes are turned away from God. So we're not able Mm. to honor him appropriately Mm. or we may be going to him but maybe we're struggling to really like 
see the beauty and the love in that. And God wants us to feel his love if we're his children. So we, that's a really important reason we want to be concerned about what's going on inside us so we can honor God. And not only that, but it enables us to serve other people better and to glorify God in that. And we see our men- the idea of our mental health, I think, is addressed throughout scripture, but especially in the Psalms, we see David going through grief, going through suffering, mm-hmm. and we see him turning to God and how that actually blesses him by making this really intimate relationship with God. And so when we care about that and we pursue that and we're pursuing God in that way in our mental health, it allows us to have that relationship with him and be cared for and loved in a way we might not otherwise uh, feel. We, we often learn so much in difficulties that we wouldn't learn otherwise by his providence. So, mm, Yeah. And I think I've even been really encouraged by the Psalms as well. And I think that David is just a beautiful, like I could cry just thinking about some of the Psalms that he's literally asking like, God, like, where are you? You know, like, where are you? Remember your promises to me. And just, just seeing like the lament and the, the suffering of David can be an encouragement to us Christians now in the church, because we are not alone. And that, that man was, God called him a man after his own heart. So it's like, okay, like here's this man who's a sinner and was suffering and had afflictions and he had his own issues, you know, Yeah. but also like God blessed him so much. And the Psalms are just a beautiful picture of how we should be praying to the Lord, how we should be petitioning the Lord for help. Because sometimes I feel like we need to only bring like we bring our troubles to the Lord, but we don't in the right way, I think. We'll, mm. And I feel like there's there's this point of like, we should come to the Lord in in desperation for his help. You know what I mean? That we can't do this alone, that we're utterly depraved and unable to muster up our own strength. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you agree, Marcella? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And I also like, Samantha, what you said about, you know, God has called us to be joyful and you know to be in celebration and you know that's hard obviously it's almost impossible to do when you're you know wallowing and whatever it is that you're going through and not seeking out the help that you need and it's even worse when you're aware of you know that you may have a mental health issue or things that you're struggling with and you're choosing not to seek counsel and to seek guidance and wisdom from others so yeah so as far as um how the world has dealt with mental health issues, particularly in helping Christians, um, how have they failed us? Because you and I have talked before about just secular secularized therapy and how it is very man-centered and how it can ultimately fail us because there's just, there's just where there's a missing component when it comes to secular therapy. So how has the world failed us in helping Christians with mental health issues? Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you look at a lot of secular therapies, because after a time they began to realize like things were missing. And so they added a spiritual component eventually. You'll see (laughs) in like a lot of like um, AA programs or any programs, like, you know, just pick a God. Your God can be your couch, but as long as you have some kind of external force holding you accountable, like that's going to help you out somehow. But I think we can all like immediately see the flaw. If, you're, if your external help is an inanimate object or it's another person who can fail you, you're not going to be able to go very far 
or it's there's going to come a point where it's not enough for you. Yeah. And I think even in programs that might not have spirituality or and just any vague notion, ultimately, it is only concerned about you. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, we want to feel better and we want to be functioning and good. But when we're concerned about us, because what happens is the counselor, they're meant to be impersonal. They're not going to have fellowship with you and be close to you. Like there, there's a certain wall, a certain level where they're not going to connect with you as deeply. Yeah. There's um, a professional boundary that needs yes. to be kept. Yeah. And so, but it's, it's very strict. And the idea is that you as the client, you make all the goals, you decide where you want to go. So because it's focused on you, if you're, goal isn't inherently towards God, but it sounds good to the counselor. You could be heading in a direction that is still not good for you um, or good for your health. But as long as it in general seems to work, the counselor is going to be there for you because the counselor, and even in biblical counseling, the counselor is another human, right? And it's a fallible person. And especially in the secular world, there are a billion therapies they could be working with. There are tons of different theories that they might be operating from and basically in the secular world you pick whichever view you like best whichever Mm -hmm. way whether it's anything that's descended from freud or rogers or um, even skinner it's just it's very much pick and choose what they like and what they want to use with their clients Mm -hmm. so there's no there's no ultimate standard is what you're saying there's no standard of of mental um healthiness is what you're saying yeah, no, it's basically what makes you feel good, which mm. obviously cannot be great. Sometimes not be great. As long as it makes you feel good and there isn't like clear harm. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is, especially even secular therapies recognize this and they recognize it's a problem. You'll run into a lot of mental health professionals who don't love to use D- the DSM to diagnose people. Um, but often for the sake of like insurance in the counseling room, if they want that covered, they're going to diagnose you with something, right? But then mm. often we all want a clear explanation. And especially if that explanation alleviates us of things that we feel like we have control over. So, you know, you get diagnosed with depression. A lot of people that becomes an identity thing of like, well, I am just depressed. Mm. Um, or even in like things like AA, you know, you're not just an alcoholic when you had the problem you're an alcoholic for life like there's no escape from our problem so Mm. a lot of secular therapies I think really fail us in that there the idea of no escape is there forever and that's I think different from the church where like we might have indwelling things that we really struggle with even for a long time right like Mm -hmm. whether it's a physical problem but we have eternal hope right We, we can always count on having perfect bodies and perfect minds when we're resting with the Lord ultimately, but secular therapies can't give us a lasting hope. And I think that's the biggest failure they have inherently in them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. And I like, I like what you said about, you know, even if you go to therapy, you're doing counseling, you're talking to a therapist, you're still relying on a fallible person, you know, who can still fail you. And, Um, Also, you know, when you start to look so inwardly within yourself, trying to muster up, like you were saying, muster up that strength within yourself, trying to rely on yourself, you know, eventually maybe if you stop your therapy sessions and they're like, okay, you're good, like you're good to go on your own way, 
you do end up relying on yourself, you know, which you're going to fail yourself (laughs) (laughs) because that's just, you know, that's just how we were made. So, yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask on the flip side, how do you think that big evangelicalism has maybe failed specifically women in helping with mental health issues? So I think that Christianity has maybe seen the flaws in secular therapy. So then they go so far the other way, but kind of in the same road as secular therapy. So can you maybe speak to that? Yeah, I think that's something the Nephetic Counseling Movement, I think, is built on, on the idea that the church has failed us for a long time. Um, Basically, we got told, you know, you have to have like, super specialized training and it has to be only from a secular worldview and it's you know all these things got thrown at the church and instead of coming to and helping their flocks a lot of Mm -hmm. even just pastors and elders were just like yeah you have to go to some other counselor like even though pastorally pastors are and should be trained to counsel right so yeah as a church we just kind of gave up on this and then (laughs) we also, I think in sometimes really broad settings, if we don't have church membership available and we're not building community, a lot of women, I think, get left out because mm. we, especially if you're at home, you might not have connections to other people around you. And if people aren't pursuing that, especially I think when you're newly married or you've newly had a child, if we aren't really intentional about helping each other in those times where we're especially, I think, vulnerable and not sure what's happening and adjusting to all of these crazy things, yeah, and we kind of end up failing each other because we're not there and we're not helping each other. And then really in general, I think a lot of the books and resources that get marketed to women are just fluff. They're feel-good fluff. <laughs> I take Bible verses and they're like, here, this verse says, don't worry, aren't you good now? And you should be able to do the dishes with joy every day. We fixed you. And it's really nothing. (laughs) It's not substantial. They treat women like we're just a bunch of like airheads that can't comprehend anything deeper. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a sad reality. (laughs) And you, I mean, I can think of one very particular, um, very famous, big Christian type book by a specific woman that has been very popular over the past couple of years. And even just in that book, like it's shocking how like self-centered and just like, well, now you're fixed. Just be, be liberated. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, no, oh my goodness. Now yeah, we're there's just more going to the this. other way. There's so much more to this. <laughs> yeah. There's so much more deep. And the, what you said just about, they think like the people that are writing these books, it's very, it offends me to a point and it offends me and it should offend you as a, as another young woman or woman that you are being marketed these books that have zero depth. Mm. There's no depth. There's no doctrine. And it's like, you can only handle this spoon fed milk. Yeah. Essentially barely even milk. I would even call it poison because it's just like, it's not helping you. Yeah, it's destructive, if anything. It's, yeah, it's destructive, and it can distract you from the real issues. And that book will maybe liberate you and make you feel good for two weeks or whatever. Yeah, and it's you very short term. It's mm-hmm. almost like when you go to camp and you get like a fire. High. It's and the camp get, high. Yeah, and then you come home and you're like, I'm <laughs> yeah. so ready. And then 
that high rears off and now real life happens. Now what? You know what I mean? It's like that same thing. We'll read a book or we'll, we'll listen to a podcast episode or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll watch a YouTube video of somebody that we admire that's giving us this um, basically a motivational speech. Mm -hmm. And then we feel motivated and excited that we're going to fix our lives and we're going to fix our husband and our children and we're going to do this. But then that high will wear off and now real life happens. What happens when affliction comes? You know what I mean? So I think it's important that we call out those things for what they really are and not let's stop buying those books. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying that any books written for two women are, are bad because you and I have recommended books that we believe are sound and just full of deep understanding of the Lord. And Mm -hmm. there are things out there, but I'm thinking the most popular ones that have been New York bestseller or on the, on the shelf of every family Christian bookstore, Mm -hmm. that those primarily, not all of them, but primarily a lot of it is fluff and it's just offensive that that we that we don't believe women in the church can handle deep things or that they can't understand deep theological issues that are affecting their everyday life the yeah. woman that's at home with her young children yeah. it affects her too mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah i i definitely experienced everything that you just described i experienced firsthand as far as like you know feeling like there was a lack of community Way more so when I first got married, just because I was like one of, I was the first one in, you know, my friend group to get married. And it was even hard, you know, outside of that circle to find people who were my age, find other young women who were my age who were also, you know, in that same life stage. And so that was an, ex- even though I was married, I was ecstatic about being married. I love my husband. I love being married. I would, you know, obviously never want to do it any other way. Um, and I wouldn't wait until I was older either. I'm glad I got married. You know, I got married when I was 20. Um, But that was probably one of the most like lonely times of my Mm -hmm. life. And I think that was, Mm -hmm. you know, from a lack of community. And it wasn't even necessarily that, you know, Jed and I weren't seeking out relationships with people. Like we were, you know, initiating, talking to people and everything. And it's just like, there just wasn't a priority. And I feel like, especially for me, it was very like overlooked on my end, because, you know, Jed did have people, you know, older men that he could talk to. But it was hard for me to develop relationships with women that I, you know, trusted to talk about marital issues. And um, even now, it's still hard, you know, after having an infant. um, You know, again, I feel like I'm, you know, one of the first people in my circle to have a child. And so that has been like, a really hard thing to adjust to. And thankfully I have like such a amazing, like strong support system with my family being so close by. I feel like that's really what got me through, you know, that the first, you know, first few months of, you know, the newborn fog. So yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's something I definitely relate to for sure. Um, so on top of, you know, how we, how we need to consider how the church has failed um, women specifically with mental health. Um, I think on top of that, even if you go to a secular therapy, secular counselor, whoever it is, sometimes, you know, medication is the first thing that people jump onto. What do you think, um, you know, how do you think we should as believers approach medication for mental health issues? So I think medication definitely has a place. I also think though we should be a lot more cautious than we are being. I personally have benefited benefited from being on antidepressant before. It was 
really helpful because it helped me to do the work I needed to do to actually address my issues. Mm. As before I took it, I was having a really hard time just functioning for day-to-day life. So I think when we're in really difficult places, it can have a place. But we have to remember the types of medications that are used to treat mental health aren't Tylenol, right? They, they are more serious medications. They have greater risk side effects. Sometimes they can do the opposite. So before we start taking them, like we really want to, I think if you can find a Christian psychiatrist who even is willing to take that into consideration is really important for believers. Mm-hmm. But I also think, I think a tenet of biblical counseling is don't be afraid to ask, is there an organic problem here that is causing these issues that we can address? You know, I think when we think of having physical problems, we only think about like, oh, what if I had cancer and I had to deal with the grief and trouble of that? And we think of that maybe as we need medical help. But you might need medical help if something is really just not working well by itself. Mm-hmm. You know, postpartum as an example, you're, a lot of women can experience their thyroid just completely going out of whack. Mm-hmm. And one of the symptoms of having your thyroid go crazy can be anxiety symptoms or depression. I, when I gave birth to James, I was having heart palpitations and I was shaking all the time and I felt on edge and I thought, am I anxious about something? But I wasn't, it wasn't because my thyroid was in hyperthyroid mode. I just could not, my body was reacting in that way, but I I didn't need um, something to help me mentally. So it's always important, I think, to like rule out like what is happening with me? Could it be something else? And if you are having problems just trying to do counseling, do stuff, I think it's really important to just take your time. Like you don't have to rush into it. These medications take time to work anyway. Mm-hmm. So you really just want to consider it in advance. And I think also, you know, it's okay to consider holistic means. And I'm, I do want to like be cautious about saying that because, you know, you don't want to go up to someone who's depressed and they're really struggling and they're considering medication. And you're like, well, you know, I have this like lavender essential oil that'll help you. You'll smell it and you'll be at peace. Like, um, you know, I think I don't use essential oils, but I know some people do and they really enjoy them not, not to like diss them, but just saying like, you know, a lot of times people will say the word holistic and it just ends up brushing away the person's concerns. But like yeah. generally considering when we don't take care of ourselves, you're going to feel in a funk to some extent. And maybe you're having a hard time because you need help to like watch your kids or you need help with your house because you're working a job that's really stressful and you're having a hard time taking care of yourself. Like whatever those are, like we have to address the basic level too um, in order to make sure we're okay all around. No, I think that's really important. And I think too, um, we need to be sensitive um, because there are some people that are like under no circumstances is medication okay for mm-hmm. a Christian that it's it's just going to lead you down a dark path or there's no use for it. But yeah, I think or it's that, a gateway into other things. Yeah, yeah. or you're going to become too dependent on it. And I think that we should have a balanced view of if it is if your depression or anxiety or other mental health concerns are prohibiting you from doing your duties as a wife mm-hmm. and a mother or to function or to like go to work or just be a human and you can't even pursue counseling because you're you can't even get out of bed like there yeah. are some some situations like that where I'm like okay you know get on the medication you know what I mean like but let's not call it a 
permanent fix. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's talk about what are we going to do while we're on the the medication. Mm-hmm. If the medication is helping us balance mm-hmm. our bodies, then what are we going to do for our minds? Are we going to pursue biblical counseling? Are we going to um, ask for accountability? Like, what are we going to do in the meantime while we are on the medication and not yeah. just use the medication as a crutch, as the solution to the problem? Yes. Yeah. So medication should be... Um, I mean, uh, to the end. Yes, mm. it should. It should be complementing something else that's happening. You know, like you said, biblical counseling. It should. It shouldn't be supplementing. Yeah. You know, the the things that we really need to be focused on going to. You know, as opposed to just oh, I. You know, like you said, I'm on the medication. All right, I'm good to go. Bye. You know, like I've. Yeah. I've got this. I'm gonna. You know, obviously, then you that that is when you become <laughs> dependent on it. My son has now joined us, if you can hear him. This <laughs> <laughs> little head. <laughs> but yeah, even um, I I have come across people in my life that I love that had to be on medication temporarily. And even with them, like there was a couple people that were like, wow, like I feel so good. I'm just going to go on as normal. But then the actual issues are going to still come up. And after that high of how normal you start to feel and how you can do your your daily tasks and you can do everything again, then you ignore the actual issues that are within you. And so sometimes medication can be a mask to the real concerns. And we should be very careful to not let medication become a mask for the deep issues and not and and just put them off because we're relying on medication. Do you agree, Samantha? Oh yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay. So, um, we're going to move into a more sensitive area of mental health. And I think that there can be people that are super far on either side of the issue. Um, are there elements of sin and faith issues when it comes to anxiety and depression? And I think that there can be a side of there's absolutely no sin or faith issues having to do with anxiety and depression and it's all a physical mental issue and it's not spiritual or it's overly spiritualized and now we're just going to call every every um mental health issue a spiritual problem where do you think we can have balance and what are the elements of sin and faith that comes in these issues so i think the easiest way to think through is to remember on a broader perspective like we're a fallen world and all of us are fallen. So that's not just our physical bodies and this realm. It's also our mental selves. Like we're fallen. Our, we have sinful hearts. And that's where everything proceeds out of a lot of ilk. But I think we also have to remember that it's not just the sin in us that might provoke our different issues. It's also the sin coming at us. So often when people, people are hyper-spiritualizing depression and anxiety, they're assuming that it's only you, that it can be provoking these things in you. And I don't think that's always true. If sin is being thrown at you, Mm. it can definitely affect how you're doing on a day-to-day basis and provoke a lot of difficult feelings. But there are elements where our own sin um, definitely inflames these things because ultimately we see a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about anxiety, that talk about deep sadness you know psalm 42 my soul why are you cast down why are you so cast down why are you in despair look to the lord so often 
our depression, our anxiety, it is often rooted in some level of unbelief where we are either not trusting God's sovereignty and giving us a difficult providence, or we're not trusting that his love and comfort is there. But at the same time, those things aren't, a lot of people, like I said earlier, they'll just throw a Bible verse at you and that's supposed to fix you. But God doesn't call us to these simple fixes. He's called us to a lifetime of going to him and asking him for help and going to him instead of going to ourselves. You know, when I personally really struggled with self-hatred, like to the point I was in some dark places, I've been in the hospital for it when I was a teenager, I was in a bad spot. And I started going to the church I'm in now. It's a um, Reformed Presbyterian church. And, you know, I'm talking to these people and I'm like, yeah, I really, I really hate myself. And Mm. Uh, this is a very small clip of conversations, but sometimes people would tell me, you know, I'd just be like, yeah, I just suck. Like I'm doing, I don't know what's wrong with me. And people would be like, well, you know, we're horrible, depraved sinners and <laughs> we, we do suck. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> You're like, wait, where's and, the affirmation that I need? Exactly. <laughs> and, but the thing is like, part of my self-hatred was that I did know how awful I was. I knew about the things I was doing that other people may not have known of or didn't think were as serious as they were. Because, you know, I was depressed because I was in a bad situation mm-hmm. and, but I was still responsible for how I responded and how I handled it. And the way I handled it was horrible. It was mm. breaking God's commandments. And so of mm. course I felt worse by not pursuing holiness and how I handled it. But what I realized was that uh, what was fueling my depression was realizing that my hope was in myself and it wasn't God. Because all I wanted was to be worth something outside the bounds of Christ's worth. But without Christ, the only thing I had going for me was my sin. <laughs> There's nothing. I can't mm. redeem myself. Yeah. So all for many years, people had thrown positive affirmations at me. And they're like, or just telling me, like, just get through the bad situation and then I'll be able to be okay again. But that didn't happen. I got through it. I got through the bad situation, but I was still horrible because I wasn't going to God the way I needed to. and. When I finally, it took months and it took a a book I highly, highly recommend. It's called Shame Interrupted by Ed Welch. But reading that book took me like kind of step through step through learning how to trust God because it's not just, I'm going to start trusting God one day and be okay. You know, it's dealing with those depressive or anxious thoughts, sometimes minute by minute when you're really in it, when you're really fighting that battle, it can be just so slow and agonizing but when you do it it's so worth it you have to confront the sin in you but when you aren't counting on your own darkness but on god's light like it shines it Mm. it gets rid of everything so you know it's a long process but it's so worth it because when we don't confront that sin when we cover it up or we ignore it or we don't want to be honest about what might be actually fueling things for us we're not, we'll never address the real issues. You know, you can always point to your parents and how they hurt you, or you can point mm. to this person or that person. Yeah. Childhood but, trauma. Yes. <laughs> and that stuff, you know, it affects us, but at some point, if you don't accept some responsibility, like you're just going to be yeah. stuck because you can't control those people. You can't control yeah. them. Mm, Only yeah. control yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point that you made at the beginning of you know, sometimes it is a sin issue within ourselves, but also, you know, we may be having to consider when we're talking about, you know, when we over-spiritualize our mental health issues, we never consider how 
how other people sitting against us may be affecting affecting our mental health. But on top of that, we have to understand, like you said, there is personal responsibility here, you know, where we have to, we do have to look at, you know, some of our actions are always going to have a consequence, whether it's good or bad. And so that's, you know, that's definitely something that we have to really hone in on. Yeah. And and another thing that I think I've been considering lately with my own mental health struggles is when I go and if the Lord is judging me and he asks me like to take, like to showing all my sin, right? The account that I have, if I don't have Christ, if, if it's like, okay, here's this sin and that sin. But I said, wait, but, but I had anxiety that day. So those sins don't count because I was anxious or I was having a panic episode. And so I, I disrespected my husband Mm. or I, I cursed God because I was in so much pain and it's like, well, the Lord isn't, isn't going to say, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like (laughs) it's like Christ died for that. He died for those for all my sins, including the sins that I that I did in the heat of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. In in those, and it's not like oh well, Christ only died for the sins that you meant to do that had nothing to do with your mental health. It's like okay, like we need to look at it from a, a biblical perspective. You know what I mean? There yeah, isn't it there covers isn't, all. There isn't any pa- passage in the Bible where it says no sins will be accounted against you. Um, when you're anxious, it right. says cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, like, what am I going to do with this reality? Yeah. You know, um, Marcella, you wanted to talk specifically about something that might be tempting for new moms or young moms. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember how exactly I worded the question to you, Samantha, because we kind of discussed this a little bit when we were talking about the episode last week, but um, I have definitely been hearing um, a lot more, especially, you know, with modern women, young, young women, young moms um, that, you know, they, they feel like after they have their baby, you know, they do their maternity leave or whatever. And I always hear the phrase, like, I have to go back to work for myself. I have to do this for myself because I I can't handle, I won't be able to mentally handle, you know, it's going to be, you know, I just have to, I have to do my own thing for a little while so I can be there for my kids, you know, for whatever, whatever reason I want to be all mentally there. This is the, this is the path to me being mentally fit for my kids is being able to be out of the house, you know, making money to be able to go out and do my own thing when I need to and all that stuff. So from your perspective, obviously, as you know, with your education, what you've been studying, and also with your experience as a young mother, what is your perspective on uh, um, moms, young moms running to that solution automatically of going back to work? So, even from a secular perspective, I would say if you're having issues, like work isn't going to fix whatever you need, like work isn't going to give you what you need. And ultimately you're, you end up taking on Adam's curse on top of Eve's curse, like Adam's mm-hmm. curse to work and to provide and go through that. And even for people who aren't Christians, you look at all the stats, moms who go back to work, still do the majority of the housework, still do the majority of the child work. Like they're doing the majority of everything because as moms, 
we love our kids and that's you know that's not to excuse maybe dynamics where dads or husbands aren't doing it enough yeah. um, that's still obviously an issue definitely but we inherent like very tend to naturally take on those things um and but ultimately like to be a little blunt it's our own selfishness that we want to get away right mm-hmm. because I think the biggest transition I've noticed even in myself is the moment you have that child, even when you're pregnant, I would say you begin to understand that you are needed 24 seven. Yeah. (laughs) And that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. Even just for like our necessities, you know, I don't go to the bathroom by myself. I'm like, my child follows me, (laughs) you know, what what do we do when we don't even have that? But yeah. And some of that is rooted in some in a desire that we see in Christ, right? Christ isn't with the crowds every second of the day. He goes off by himself, but he goes to be with the Lord mm-hmm. in that time to be fulfilled. And I think that is kind of the big question when you're going to work, like what is fulfilling you there or how are you defining fulfillment and that work is giving it to you and not doing your work unto the Lord with your children? Because our children require the utmost sacrifice from us. That is motherhood. That's parenthood. And that's how we reflect Christ. Christ had the ultimate sacrifice. And that's who we're reflecting in motherhood. So, you know, our kids shouldn't be a problem. They should be a chance for us to glorify God and showing that sacrificialness and wanting to love them so completely. So I think when you want to go back to work, you have to ask yourself, like, why? What is work doing for me? Or what am I expecting it to do? Because it might be an idol or it might be your genuine, like, not that we wouldn't genuinely be, but like we all have struggles. You know, some of us, you go from having a super routine oriented life to having a kid and it's very hard to have routine. There yes. isn't consistency. There isn't, you know, sometimes it's just the lack of sleep or all the hormonal shifts. There's so many reasons and things we have to adjust to. And that's why, you know, we want those tightest two older women who are engaged with us and helping us. And we want to be there for each other. We want pastors and elders who are asking us how we're doing in those times because we we do have genuine needs but work isn't going to fill you up I think the way people want it to or if it is filling you up then I think you have to ask yourself like why why is this filling me up with that other thing mm. um, yeah that's yeah that's a really good answer um and I feel like that's definitely something that uh like I feel like I tiptoe around when talking to young moms in person, when they start to mention things like this, like how, you know, how do you, <laughs> without, without being insensitive, you know, to like, you're saying like, it could be hormonal changes. You have no idea what's going on in their head. It's such a huge life, life change. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you tell them like, well, is this something you may want to rethink, you know, mm-hmm. just by holding, you know, other believing young moms accountable. Yeah. And what we're not saying is that if you have children, you should not work in any capacity outside of the home. Oh or, no. Yeah. Because that is, I I think that there is a, a balance of, okay, as in, even with me not having children, me as a wife, my priority is my home mm-hmm. and I don't even have children yet because yeah. I want to glorify the Lord in my, in my role as a wife. Mm-hmm. That my work comes second. Yeah, that my work is a 
surplus, an extra blessing to our home. And it isn't taking me away so that I can escape from my husband or to escape from the duties that I have as a wife. It's to bless the home. And obviously we have our own small businesses and even Samantha mentioned she's starting her own small business. Mm -hmm. But what is that small business doing? Is it taking us away from our children and our husbands and our home? Or is it adding to the blessing of our home, adding to the blessing of our children. And I think that we need to to switch our perspective of, I need to do this for me, for my own like mental health sake, or for my own um, empowerment as a woman and shift our perspective to, if I'm going to work um, and have a small business or join the workforce part-time or whatever, why am I doing it? Yeah. And and is this going to take me away from my my joy? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Are my children or is my spouse going to suffer? Yeah. From me being out because of because our lives are not our own. Like we we are we are not here to give ourselves our best life. Like we're here to glorify God. Yeah. In everything that we do, and this time is going to pass. You're not going to be a mother of young children forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, there are other like stages of life where like, if you're an empty nester or if your children are older and teenagers, like every season of life is going to be different. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are we going to take away from that, that time of our life where we were young wives with young children? Are we going to take away from that mm-hmm. and, and just want to skip it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think another thing that Samantha, you and I had talked about was what if, you know, there isn't another, another source of income for the household to be able to, you know, Mm -hmm. just practically like to be able to pay bills, pay rent and all that stuff. The, the first thing that, you know, we hopefully should be able to lean on is the church. It's the church's Mm -hmm. responsibility to take care of the, the young mom, the young wife, even if, you know, they're a widow, whoever it is, whatever the, the circumstances, um, but, you know, obviously we, again, are approaching that subject with sensitivity that sometimes, you know, even if you are trying to get plugged in, maybe you're searching for somewhere to go. Sometimes it is literally a necessity for you to work outside of the home. But the ultimate goal and, you know, hopefully for the church as well is to be able to, you know, care for that woman if they are struggling financially. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think even people, if you're coming from a single mom background, right. And you you have to work, you know, you can still have so much love and support from the church and helping you balance that and to help you ask these questions. Because even if you're in a non-traditional kind of format like that, you can still order your life in a way that's glorifying and can help you, but get your fulfillment from the people who will really help you versus from a job that may or may not like be the best spot, you know, but we all, you know, I myself, have been in some tight financial situations and work has been a blessing in that way, but it was not the answer to fixing my life either. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we already talked about in depth why we should seek out biblical counseling and not secular therapy. So I'd like to jump over to what hope do we have in Christ when it comes to our anxiety and depression? Samantha, can you answer that? Yeah, I think, like I mentioned earlier, and I have dealt with these things and I feel I feel like I've found completely like been delivered in this life. Mm. And I think often when we talk about these issues, 
we only talk about them in a permanent sense, right? We're so used to this idea that it will only ever exist permanently, but that's not true. For some of us, they are indwelling, right? They're the things we struggle with in a long-term way. We all have different things we struggle with long-term. For some of us, things like anxiousness or feeling depressed are up there, you know? Charles Spurgeon, this great reformed preacher, is so well-known also because he struggled with periods of depression that he didn't have an explanation for. Yeah. Struggled, you know, and it was hard. So, you know, but that's not everyone. Some of us will not have to deal, continue dealing with these things in this life. So I think that's one important hope to remember. But ultimately, whether or not that happens in this life, we have that eternal hope that it will be gone and it will live in perfection. There's not going to be tears. We're not going to be stressed. Like, we'll be so. But before we get there, like we can have the assurance that in this life, we're still being made to be more like Christ. So mm-hmm. the ways we struggle today will not be the ways we struggle tomorrow or a month from now or 10 years from now. Like yeah. things are going to get better because we're going to become more like Christ. Your situation might not, but our souls are going to be made better because we're being made more and more Christ-like. So we have that, we have guaranteed hope that if we ask Christ for wisdom and for help and for comfort, he will give it. That's guaranteed hundred percent like yeah. that's going to be there and we also have the assurance of our salvation no matter what's happening in our current life no matter what we're anxious or depressed about no matter if people are after us or against us we know we're saved we can have complete assurance in that so when everything else seems hopeless and we can't control things and we're doomed we're not though. We have to remember, like we have that sacrifice and resurrection of Christ to ground us. And ultimately to know that we're never alone. We're never out of God's hand, right? I think one of the blessings of having that doctrine about God being completely and totally sovereign over our lives is that nothing is touching us. Nothing is happening without the permission of God. Mm. You know, look at read the my pastor i will just go ahead and recommend this um if you look up joel wood on sermon audio and look for his series on job the entire book of job is evidence that sometimes it is god's providence that we're going to go through really difficult hard things yeah yeah those things you know this is one of those verses that gets i think abused but those in romans it talks about how those things are for our good and his glory our good might not be how we define our good but it is still for our good. So our hope is in God's power, in God's sovereignty. He has authority over everything. So we have to remember if something is happening, it's accomplishing some purpose. We're not without, and it's not some vague purpose. It's not like, oh, you know, this is, everything happens for a reason. No, we we know what the reasons are actually. The reasons Mm -hmm. are to glorify God and do good for us. So we just have so much, otherworldly and for some people that that can be harder to grasp you know because it's not tangible and for some of us it's easier we're like oh yeah i it's totally immediately helpful but um it's still there regardless and um there for us to to learn how to embrace that hope and to embrace that um that most people don't have because most people don't know the lord yeah yeah um before we go to our last question i wanted to read 
Um, the This is a Reformed Protestant catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. This is what I go to and any time that I'm suffering or what I send to my friends when when I know that they're suffering. Um, and I think this is an amazing summary of even what you just said, Samantha, because you and I affirm um, these doctrinal truths. Um, the question says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his own precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. And this is the thing that I love the most about this question is it isn't what is one of your comforts in life and death. Mm. Yeah, it's only. <laughs> it's only. <laughs> not, Amen. not yeah, not the world, what not therapy, not medication, not your friend, not your husband, not your child. It's what is your only comfort in life and the death and that is Christ like that is just it it fills my soul to know that the comfort that we have cannot come from anything in this world but mm. from Christ and that's just um something that I I cling to in times of despair um so lastly um I'd like us to cover maybe we talked we talked in depth kind of maybe our perspectives on this and We've talked heavily about biblical counseling and church membership, et cetera. What are some other practical steps that you think we can take right now in managing our mental health? So there are a lot, they're the ordinary means of grace, right? So God has given us things that we can be doing every day. And there are things that get thrown out there and people will dismiss. But when you actually commit to doing them every day, like you're going to see a cumulative, huge, like very blessing effect. Um, sometimes immediately, sometimes just over time. But you know, the means of grace: praying for God to help in unbelief, to help in difficult circumstances, and not just that quick prayer before you eat. Right? <laughs> like you want to get on your knees and have minutes and minutes, if not an hour. Like just pray, pray with complete earnestness. Pray and ask Christ for what you need. Um, read your Bible every day. Memorize the Scripture. Those are really simple things, but that's the foundation of almost every biblical counseling homework assignment I can think of. (laughs) Not because we're throwing a verse at you and you're going to be okay, but because in order to not think on the things that are hurting you, you have to replace it with good stuff. And the way to replace it with good stuff is to read and memorize good stuff. You know, read and memorize the word. But God has more than that. We have the sacraments, right? So if you are a member of a church, and you can take the Lord's Supper. I know with COVID right now, that's in and out for some people. But whenever you can take it again, take the Lord's Supper with great joy. It is supposed yeah. to be an encouragement to us and something that helps sustain us in this life. So we have these really basic things. But, you know, obviously, if you need help, like reach out. If you are someone who has trouble reach out like you're not going to regret it and the thing is even if you reach out and someone is not helpful or shuts you down keep reaching out that doesn't mean 
you know, I tried once, but clearly like life is hopeless. I think part of the hope of life is that you can keep going and find other people. Um, so just keep reaching out. And I know a lot of people, I think one of the biggest lies and things like depression, and anxiety, or whatever problem you're having is that people don't want to hear from you or that they don't care or mm. that you're too much of a bother, but we're commanded to bear one another's burdens. So <laughs> go and fulfill that commandment. Go get people to help you. Go to your church, go to your pastor, um, try to get help. And then also, I think the very biggest thing like you can do every day is be willing to repent, be willing to change. And I say that because I know in my, and I don't say that with like a hard heart, like you clearly just like want to be where you are. You want to stay there. But I say that because I think as I was getting better, I really didn't know like what it meant to be happy, to be honest. I, that was a huge struggle for me trying to embrace good things. And depression was a blanket. It was comfortable. I knew it. It was familiar to me. So every morning waking up and recommitting myself to pursuing joy in Christ was actually a big step. It wasn't, so I had to commit to that and say, you know what, I know what's comfortable and familiar, but I also know that's killing me and I can't be with that. I have to want to change. Um, so just so out there in case anyone else feels like that, like, I don't think that's abnormal to get used to your life and to get yeah. used to how it is, but we have to be willing to say, you know, I'm willing to risk what it means to change and be in the unfamiliar, um, and to see what God might have for me. And then I think the other things I mentioned, um, are, so I did mention shame interrupted by Ed Welch and some sermons, but I also think there's a book by Elise Fitzpatrick that's called Overcoming Fear, Worry, and Anxiety. I'm uh, reading it right now, and it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. That's what I've been reading every Sunday, and it's seriously been feeding my soul. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's books like that that are helpful. Um, and if you go to biblicalcounseling.com and you go to their approved reading list, that's the ACBC website, their approved reading list has books on every topic you can think of. So, you know, if you're looking at your Bible and you don't know what's helpful or you don't know how to use things, there are plenty of people who have written on anger. They've written on marriage. They've written on parenting. Like go find those people who have written about these things and know about it and can help you. Um, because we can't, we're not made to do this alone and we're not made to know everything. So I think like, if you want to get better today, reach out, um, Start practicing the means of grace. Don't discount them. I think we can get weary and those like seemingly simple tasks, but don't discount them. Um, and if you are really struggling today, I would just point you, I quoted it earlier, but go to Psalm 42 um, and sit in that because the psalmist is sad and doesn't know what to do. But then they ask themselves, why is my soul in despair? Hope to God. And those words will feed your soul. Even if right now you feel hopeless, those words will feed your soul. So I think that's my best uh, thing I can emph- like emphasize without 
knowing ever anyone's details, obviously, or anything. So, yeah. yeah. And I think the importance of seeking out a biblical counselor is they can help you meet your specific needs. Yes. Um, so that's what we are going to heavily, heavily encourage everybody to do. If you do, if you take anything away from this episode, <laughs> it's seek biblical counseling. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> yes. agree. Awesome. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for your time. We are just so overjoyed and edified. I'm edified by this conversation. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And I pray that um, the women that hear this episode are going to be encouraged and edified just as much as we've been. So thank you so much for your time. And we'll be praying for you and supporting you as you finish your certification. And I just can't wait to hear all that the Lord is doing in your life and how you're blessing other women in your church as well. Thank you, Gabby. Thanks, Marcella. It's been great. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up our episode for today, but but really quick, we're going to take a break. Whether we like it or not, what we do online affects our lives offline. Especially now that we are starting to raise our own families. Not only do we want to teach our children to use the internet with integrity, but we also want to guide our own hearts and remain pure online. Covenant Eyes is the leading force in internet and screen accountability software. Start your 30-day free trial today with the promo code YOUNGANDWIFEDUP. You can activate the Covenant Eyes software on all your electronic devices. Begin your journey in providing protection and encouraging accountability by clicking on the link on our website at youngandwifedup.com. Okay, so we're back. And before we get going today, we're going to talk about our favorite gluten-free substitute. So Marcella, what is your favorite gluten-free substitute? Okay, so... Gluten-free bread is just like the bane of my existence. I have never <laughs> been able to find a good gluten-free bread until I came across this one from the Whole Wheatery. Um, and it's called it's from the company called Canyon Bakehouse. Do they sell it at like Vons? They sell it too? at Vons. Okay. Just recently it's in the they freezer section though, it. right? It's so delicious. In yes. the freezer section. So don't look for it in the like regular like bread aisle. Go to the freezer section. They have like the gluten-free hot dog buns, the gluten-free bread. So anyway, bomb. it's Canyon Bakehouse gluten-free bread. The only complaint that I have is that the pieces are like super small. Like it doesn't look like a regular size loaf, but it tastes Especially when you toast it. Oh, it's a little butter. Oh my gosh. It's it like tastes regular bread. exactly like, yeah, just regular bread. Yeah. It is so good. Anyway, I agree. And my um, substitute for gluten is going to be Sweet Lauren's gluten and dairy-free cookies. They are so good. You guys, like, I eat these things <gasps> like out of the fridge. Okay. Like I'm, you don't even have to bake them. No. Like I just eat it like straight out of the package. Yeah. And they're, they're not sugar-free, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> So they have sugar in it, but it's Sweet Lauren's gluten and dairy-free cookies, and they have tons of different flavors. My favorite one is the sugar cookie, but I know they have like a brownie chocolate situation. And then in the holidays, they have like seasonal ones. So anyway, if you're gluten or dairy sensitive, this is like the best cookie substitute. And it it's so phenomenal. Like two years ago, I made these for our um, every Christmas. We do like a cookie exchange at my church. It's really mm. sweet and fun. And so I made all of them Sweet Lauren's gluten-free cookies and everybody loved them. And they were so easy to make because they're just like a regular like toll house situation. Yeah. It's just dough that's ready to go in the oven so super easy and and i i mean it's husband approved like ryan loves oh too. yeah can't yeah. tell a difference anyway okay so we're gonna get going today thank you guys so much for listening and we're gonna link all of the resources that 
um, Samantha and we have recommended this week in our website. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.